0: Welcome to episode twenty-six of the Pogma Gold Podcast. What a beautiful goal! Isn't that a
1: beautiful goal? What a thing. Messi, Messi, enganchó como le gusta, El probó goal! zurda. Oh, no! Again, another time. The shot on the button. Oh! What a goal! What a goal that is! What a goal from David Beckham! O oh, Zinedine, O oh, Zinedine, la pasada. Hey,
0: Different class. Different class. My name is James Carew, co-editor of Pope and after a short break to take in a Winter World Cup, you're listening to the 26th instalment of the podcast partner to Ireland's only football magazine. Over 70 pages of quality feature writing, artwork and illustration from contributors from across the globe. As a perfect Christmas stocking filler, readers in Ireland can order issue 8 and will also receive issue 7 for a limited period. And as ever, you can order from Pogmagol.bigcartel.com for worldwide delivery, where you'll also find footballs designed with charity Alive and Kicking and a Pogmagol Soccer Club sweatshirt. On today's episode, we've got a World Cup and World Games special. And to help me, I'm delighted to welcome back two co-hosts of the Programme Gold Pod in Taylor Geale and Joe Feelin. Taylor is a communications manager who now splits his time between being a Londoner and a Bognorian, I believe it's called. A resident of his hometown of Bognor Regis, which also puts him closer to his childhood club Portsmouth. Welcome back, Taylor. Thanks, James. Quickly. We talk about Gavin Bazunu a lot on this podcast, and him having gone to Southampton is he now enemy number one among Portsmouth fans as the big rivals?
2: Yeah, maybe. I mean, fair play to him. When Harry Redknapp did that many years ago, um, he ended up coming back, so we've all got our fingers crossed. So uh, yeah, no hard feelings just yet.
0: Okay, well that's good to hear. We also got Joe Feeling back. Joe is a writer and journalist based in London. Who, for those in the Venn diagram of Pogma Gold listeners, world soccer readers, and connoisseurs of Greenlandic and small island nation football teams, he sits smack bang in the middle. But we'll get into that shortly. Welcome back, Joe. Thank
1: you very much. That is a niche Venn diagram, isn't it? It's very niche. I, I can imagine the only person that sits in the middle of that is me. <laughs>
0: You'd be surprised. But <laughs> There's nowhere on the planet immune to the charm of the beautiful game. Greenland is at the very top of the world. If we could have an indoor pitch, we could play football all year round.
1: Here in Doha at the 2022 World Cup. And from Asana! Who's winning? Morocco? Morocco, yeah. Morocco of course. Whoa! With the Iranian men's team refusing to sing the national anthem.
2: Here is Jude Bellingham for England. Marcus
0: Rashford, oh yes! Kane and Foden. Well snatched by Rice. Few to choice Ireland or England. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? Ireland.
1: Declan Rice, congratulations, you are tonight's man of the match. I don't think I,
0: uh, I could have asked for a better start. It's Neymar! Oh! Argentina march on! The shock has held! Gentlemen, uh, this is a World Cup special. My first question is, moral objections aside, have you been enjoying the tournament?
2: I've been really enjoying it, actually. Um, I've got a one-year-old son, which has taken up a lot more of my time than um, I had hoped to interrupt a World Cup with. But what I've managed to catch, I've really enjoyed. I think um, there's been no kind of um, standout team, which has made the quarterfinals really exciting. Um, and there's been some amazing games, some great stories. So yeah, loving it.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I think at first I was a little bit wary of it being uh, against the norm, being in winter, being in a country with no like, footballing culture. But actually I've kind of really enjoyed the winter aspect of it in the end because during the summer uh, I would have been choosing between going outside in the nice weather or staying inside to watch the football. There's no compromise here. I'm not going out anyway, so it's nice to stay in in the cold and actually have something to do. And the the ten o'clock games and then going through the whole day until a seven o'clock game was was pretty awesome. I think it's a great way to to fill fill the hours.
0: I mean, whisper quietly, but it has been bloody brilliant having four games a day. Uh I mean you're out and about for Christmas anyway. This is an excuse to go out and like look at a TV screen, which it are gonna if it's not this, it was gonna be the darts. So I mean
1: Well, I'm still gonna be watching the darts, but that doesn't start until the fourteenth.
0: Have we stumbled on the future of football? Well, if England are out, I think the World Cup might ruin Christmas. I will ask who you think is the outright winner at this point.
2: Well, I mean, like I said, there's not a standout for me but quite fancy Portugal if they don't play their superstar player Cristiano Ronaldo if if not them then whoever wins the England France game
1: there's no standout team I also think a lot of the teams in the World Cup this year have been far below the quality that we tend to expect like I think Croatia are quite weak this this year and yet they have still managed to blag their way through Belgium were a joke. I think I can't. I can't believe Switzerland and Portugal got into the the knockout stages because they they are just absolute dross.
0: These will be the bits I clip up and edit and fire out on social media when Brazil and England are out, <laughs> and we've just rendered this whole part of the podcast irrelevant.
1: So, with that in mind, let me just say, ah, uh, I think Croatia are going to win it. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah.
0: Well, I had an interesting experience. I was in Berlin last weekend and the Argentina game was on the Saturday. We just happened to go into a bar where Argentine fans started to arrive and we got chatting to them, said, yeah, this is like the base. This is the Argentinian fans base. It was also a Borussia Dortmund kind of fan club bar. So we said, this is going to be amazing. We're going to watch the game with a load of Argentinians and the place packed out the game got underway, it was like a church. I just couldn't believe it. The the, the I don't know why they're very tense. It was just, it was a really interesting experience there. I've watched a lot of games, World Cup games with different nationalities when their team is playing, like English people, uh, USA, Brazilians, Germans. It's really interesting to observe the dynamics. I mean, I think Irish fans are far more intense because we cheer, we're just so like happy to be there and uh, there's so much pressure and riding on it that we cheer like when the defender kicks it into Rosette or there's a tackle or there's a throw-in. Whereas the Brazilians, for example, don't really react until the ball is near the opposition goal and someone does something fancy. This is really, in- I, I, I pointed this out to Key, the other, the other half of Pogba goal, and he said... Yeah, but Brazil have won it five times, and like Germany have won it. They, they expect to get to the quarterfinals, the semifinals, the final, and and maybe that's the reason. Don't know if you've any thoughts on it.
1: Well, I, I, yeah, I agree. It's all about expectations, isn't it? Because I think Taylor and I, being England fans, even though we've got to the final and the semifinal of the last two major tournaments they've been in, I still don't expect anything from England I think England could get to finals for 20 tournaments in a row and I'd still go into the tournament feeling pessimistic so I'm still happy when England go one up against Senegal I'm, I'm still absolutely buzzing about that whereas in, the Argentinian fans they have a different set of expectations because they know they've got the best player in the world but they know their squad isn't anywhere near up to Messi's standard so I, I, how do you go into a game knowing that? Do you expect to win because you've got Messi? Do you think it's a failure because they almost feel like they're letting Messi down by not winning a World Cup? And then therefore he'll never be in the upper echelons with Maradona and, and Pele. Where, and Whereas Brazil, they're going to win it. In, like, if you're a Brazilian fan, you know they're going to win it in your lifetime, right? If it's not this World Cup, it's the next World Cup. And I know the last time they won it was what, 20 years ago? So that's quite a long time ago. But they're they're always going to be there or thereabouts, aren't they? Whereas I think Argentina being a smaller country, and they've got this not even a generational talent, just like the the greatest footballer who's ever lived. And they're like, What where's where's the next thing coming from? If if they come go they go into the next World Cup there's no Messi. they're not gonna be Anywhere near the favourites, looking at their squad, like their best two players, you'd say at the minute, Messi, Di Maria, that they're, they're they're both on the verge of of going. So, I I if I was Argentinian, I'd be going into every game stressed out because like this this is almost and not even almost, this is the end of an era for them, and they're almost going to have to start an entire rebuild. Whereas it's I don't think that's quite the same for for any other. A uh, big team, maybe maybe Belgium, but even Belgium don't have the like, the history of of football in um like triumph that Argentina have.
2: Yeah, I just echo that point. Really, I think it's really interesting what Joe says about you know the the pressure of having this kind of greatest player of all time playing in his last World Cup. It must be it must be unbearable for not just the fans but the players, the other ten players walking onto the pitch with him. You know, it's kind of it's on them to make sure that the greatest player of all time adds a world cup to his you know his uh, trophy cabinet so it's it must be overwhelming and i i don't expect them to win it just because of that yeah you know it's just it's just too much to ask i think it's kind of it's not it's not just the football they're playing but they're kind of they're battling with history and you know trying to make you know a historical right out of this competition and it's it's too much to ask
0: yeah that has a bit more pressure than trying to head a ball 40 yards from your goal line because you're just happy to be there. Uh, uh, we've talked about this before, but it is interesting, you know, that anybody but England, like the Welsh, Irish, Scottish, would would and would cheer against whoever's playing England. And the the argument is always, oh, can you imagine if they win it, they'll be unbearable. Or they go into every tournament saying they're the best team in the world and they're going to win it. But that's, it's just not true. Like, you've, you've both said, and Joe said it today, you've said it previously, Taylor, like England fans go into tournaments completely pessimistic. They say, yeah, we, we'll, we might get to the quarterfinals and then we'll go out. So this saying, oh, they always think they're going to win it has become a cliche.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. Um, it, yeah, it is a cliche. On your point about England fans being unbearable, if we ever win a competition i like to think we're unbearable anyway <laughs> yeah it's part of the charm right it's part of the charm exactly but yeah this pessimism thing i i mean i definitely felt it this time i thought you know the qualifying campaign and the friendlies leading up to the world cup we looked rubbish we didn't look like the kind mm. of you know um euro 2020 team or the world cup team before that it was not the optimism around the team at all and it's it's been a bit of a surprise for me that we put in you know six goals in our first game and that we you know battered senegal and you know it's, it's been it's been slightly surprising how well we've done and so the optimism i feel has you know it's only arrived since the tournament began and so it kind of feels slightly artificial and you know when it does all come crashing down there's some inevitability about that in a way that there wasn't in the last two competitions.
1: I wonder if this pessimism as well, it almost is part of the British psyche and part of the reason we don't think England are going to do well at a tournament is because we tend to focus on negative aspects. So, say Harry Maguire doesn't have a good game that's the bit we remember. We don't remember the four good games he had prior to that we remember he had a bad game and because we're watching the Premier League so in-depth week in, week out, we, know, we notice these little Frailties that England players have, and we we notice when they perform poorly, we think, oh well, they're never going to be able to step up against France or whatever. Whereas we don't see that with Mbappe, we don't see that with any of the um, the Italian teams. Bad example; they're not at the at the World Cup. We don't, but we don't we don't see that. Wasn't meant to be a a snide remark, any Italians, but we don't we don't see that with people in the Bundesliga. You don't see anything negative come out about players like Jude Bellingham because he's playing in Dortmund you only see the highlight reels which is one of the reasons why I think so many England fans have fallen in love with him straight away is because all we know about Jude Bellingham is this guy is pure quality he has he has no flaws and we only think he doesn't have any flaws because we're not watching his games we only see him when he's has a good game against Senegal or um or when he's scoring for Dortmund we see it see it on the highlights package on BT Sport so I think part of the problem is we are so invested in Premier League football and we watch it so closely that um, we kind of become obsessed with issues rather than obsessed with um, positive elements. That, that, that's just a personal, a personal opinion. I don't know if anyone else would, would agree with that.
0: I think there's definitely something in the, in the psyche. Uh, but Bellingham, Bellingham is a bloody good player. My next question was going to be... What has your best moment of the World Cup been so far? Well, I
2: think it might be quite an obvious one, and I don't know whether this is kind of just recency bias, but the Penenka to end the penalty shootout in the Morocco-Spain game was absolutely exquisite. I'm still kind of still enjoying that. And it was such such a tame Penenka, which kind of makes it better, but it wasn't one of these ones like Zidane where it clips the bar and it just bounces over. It kind of dribbled in and the keeper is, <laughs> is gone. I just love that. Um, yeah, and to see Spain going out after, you know, passing themselves to death was, was quite nice. So, yeah, that's the highlight for me. Um, and just the reaction from the Morocco fans, just been incredible.
0: Yeah, Morocco is one of the fairy tale stories, isn't it? And you, Joel?
1: Well, i going to go briefly back to what Taylor said there. You must absolutely love their keeper's called Barno. Yeah,
0: there's a lot of great... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? What's the word I'm looking for? There's a lot of jokes going around. <laughs> I'll edit that. I
1: was never gonna I was never gonna plump for the idea that you'd forgotten the word joke.
0: <laughs> I wanted a better word. Bono had the edge in the penalties. That was my favourite. Oh, that is very good. Joe, what has been what has been your moment then? Um
1: uh, this it, it's gonna sound like I've put zero thought into this, but Bellingham's first half performance against Senegal is I would I I I'm not, I I am known for exaggerating, but I would say that is the best in, individual performance I've ever seen from an England player. I I I can't remember seeing anything like it. I can't remember seeing anything like it. It reminded me of the time when, um, uh, I'm a Tottenham fan as well. It reminded me of the first game where Gareth Bale stepped up against Inter Milan, and he just genuinely looked like the only world class player on. Not, not even on the Spurs team, on the entire pitch. And I know, I know it's only Senegal. They've got some good players. They're not a world-class team, I would say. But I have just never seen a player who can do... He, he plays... He reminds me of Moussa Dembele, when he used to play at Spurs, mixed with Yaya Toure. Uh, I think it's a combination of the two. He's just got power, strength. He's got an incredible vision. He can tackle well. And he, he, he just is always in the right place. And England have never had a player like that, I don't think. I, even prime Gerrard and Lampard. Um, I, I, would, I would choose Bellingham over them from the, from the, the golden generation. And I know that's, that's ridiculous. He's 19. I've seen him play, what, five games? I think this England squad is going to be built around him for the next 10 years. 10, 15 years. I think think he's that good. Uh, And even when Rooney was coming through and when Owen was coming through, they were incredible players. They didn't bring me the amount of joy that Bellingham does. Just seeing Bellingham charge forward, you think, God, something's going to happen here. He is just so good. And the fact that he's so good frees up people like Kane and Foden and Mount, Grealish, whatever, to do their own little thing as well. It's so beneficial to have a player like that, and you see, like you see how Mbappe can just grab the game by the scruff of the neck. He goes, "We're not scoring it. Give it to me, and I'll I'll do something magical." Belling can do something similar, not with the same degree of technical flair, but he can just break up games and make it so that the the flair players have got way more space than they normally would. Um, they're further up at the pitch than they normally would be. And I I just think seeing that, I would I think we'll look back on that in. A decades time and said that was the emergence of Jude Bellingham was that first half against Senegal, and I think I think he's just a special player.
2: Yeah, I think his um his play for that was it the Kane goal where he he gets the ball inside his own half, knocks it past yeah. a few players, and just kind of like when you see Messi go past a player, his legs are going so fast. But Bellingham, yeah. he's so tall, he's almost like mm. Zidane The way he just like glides forward, slips past people, plays the perfectly timed pass. It was absolutely beautiful to watch that
0: and he's only 19 and i love the fact that he's gone to germany and he's captain of dortmund or has certainly captain dortmund in a number of games this season And 19 is incredible my, my moment is probably there was a lot said about protests in advance of the world cup but i think the iranians not singing the national anthem was massive like we don't know what's going to happen those players when they go home, but it was incre- It was incredibly brave, and I think that will be a moment of of this world cup um My other was uh what came the videos that came out recently i don't know if you saw it the uh, pundits five aside and Roy Keane scores the winner, <laughs> and he whips off his top, goes running round, does a little kind of a jig jump in the air over a wheelie bin or something It was just <laughs> yeah he, he's a He's not an unemotional robot. <laughs> it was funny to watch.
1: Do you do you see the interview with him a couple of days ago? Where someone asked him what his favourite bit of uh, USA '94 was, and he said it was the first time he'd ever been to a water park.
0: The water park was called Wet <laughs> and Wild.
1: <laughs> yeah, he, he absolutely loved that. Yeah. It, it's just it's so funny when you, um when you when you see him one day complaining about dancing, saying. There's, there's too much emotion in this squad. They need to chill it out. And the next day you see him whipping his shirt off and jumping over a bin. It's hard to, it's hard to marry those two different parts of his personality.
0: Yeah, there's a huge Brazilian population in Ireland and he's, he's not doing any Brazil-Ireland relations any good with his comments.
1: From from, from a, an Irish perspective, James, do you think he is playing a part now? Do you think he's playing the role of Roy Keane, the, the curmudgeon? Or do you think that's his actual, uh, uh, like, personality shining through? Because it, it seems to me like he's almost just, like, mocking himself now.
0: Uh, uh, genuinely, I, th- I think that's genuinely him. I think it's his genuine personality. And he's, he's a very funny man, and lots of people say it. I mean... Michael Richards says it all the time. Michael Richards says he's one of the funniest people he ever met and one of the nicest people he ever met, which is I think is great for Roy Keane's public relations. I think that's just the way he is. I think he sees he sees the game the way he played the game. Uh, very single minded, not, you know, no fuss really. I mean, Roy Keane was an amazing player, but he wouldn't have said he was a especially skillful player. So he just doesn't go in for this kind of brazilians dancing thing you just have, like get on with the football but you know he's he's also of an era yeah he's a man of his era defined by his era i think
1: yeah he's got a real distinctive uh like separation hasn't he like there's, there's clear boundaries when you're on the pitch that's your job you get on with it when you're off the pitch then do your own little thing
0: that's your job
1: yeah i i i, I, I even as i was saying that i knew i was walking into to stereotype um territory there. But yeah, I, 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 just, I just you don't really see that with many other people. Like they there's it's so um like there's there's such a clear boundary there that when you're on the pitch, you go, nope, all you're doing is football. And then when you when you're off the pitch, do do whatever you like then. You can go, go to Wet and Wild if you want to. <laughs> I kind of find that in
2: his um, in his punditry, he takes that kind of like single minded professionalism of like um, a Manchester United captain or whatever. And he takes that into his punditry and just where, whereas you see other players who are like clearly really driven and focused, like someone like Henderson or Bellingham or, you know, any of the England, modern England players, really. They have a kind of professionalism on the pitch and then they're a bit more lighthearted off the pitch. But like Keane doesn't switch it off. <laughs> he just like <laughs> carries it around with him. And just, it's just like a old curmudgeon wherever he goes. But, yeah, it's nice to see a lighter side of it.
0: So we mentioned at the top of the show we're going from the heat of Qatar to, I guess, the snow-capped mountains of Greenland. Is there snow-capped mountains in Greenland, Joe? There, there,
1: well, they're certainly ice-capped. There's, there might be snow. Yeah, there might be snow on the odd occasion, but it's predominantly ice. It is, that is one icy place. 80% ice is Greenland. No greenery
0: joe has written for world soccer you're kind of like their greenland correspondent for world soccer magazine tell us about the the articles you've written and what it was about greenland that intrigued you um
1: okay so greenland is still uh, a territory officially a territory of denmark so it's not its own country so although it's got a national team it has struggled to find international opposition to play and it's still not a, an official member of FIFA. So it can't enter into the World Cup um, or it can't get into the World Cup qualifiers. But they've got a coach called uh, Martin, Martin Rutke, who's from Denmark, and he has sort of taken on this position of trying to turn the Greenlandic football team into a professional team. And there's only fifty six thousand odd people who live in Greenland, so it's pretty hard to to pull together a a team that's um, of any quality. The the only player they've ever really had that was internationally famous is Jesper Grankear, and he represented Denmark. So he chose to represent Denmark because there was just if you choose Greenland, you're you're basically banishing away your international career. But Greenland have got this. Uh, there's a number of issues that are stopping them becoming a FIFA member. So number 1, they um they aren't um uh, like a sovereign nation, which FIFA likes. They 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 don't like um when there's politics involved or when uh there could be internal difficulties around that. Like the only team that's kind of broken away from that mold lately is Gibraltar, who are a British overseas territory. And they managed to, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure how they managed to do it. They petitioned a lot and they were, they were going through the application process for a long, long time, maybe 10 years, maybe 15 years. And finally, I think it was Set Blatter gave them approval. So in Greenland, there's some kind of hope that they'll be able to perhaps become a FIFA member at some point in the future. Another major problem for Greenland is they don't have any grass there, and that is a pretty big problem for a for a football team. So all of their pitches there are artificial, so really really high quality. Like it's it's part of the the Greenland government's um, like expansion plans. Now is they they want to improve infrastructure, and part of that is improving sporting facilities. So there's a lot of 5 g pictures around there in pretty i uh, you, you've seen the pictures of them in pretty scenic locations like they look amazing but um but the, there's there's a couple of issues around that they cost a lot to maintain um and there's not many players to play on them although saying that they, they've got the highest they 've got the highest number of um registered football players of any of any country in the world I know it's not officially a country but To all intents and purposes, it is a country per capita. So a lot of people there want to play football, but still there's only a pool of 56,000. So that's quite small. Uh, Another problem is they don't have an official national stadium. So um, to be accepted into FIFA, you have to have a place to play your home games. So at the minute they play basically on the same place where they train um, in uh, the capital Nuuk, it's at a sports centre, and the pitch is really good. There's no stands. They, they say the official capacity is 2,000, but that's only because if you crammed 2,000 people together around the sidelines, that's, that's the max that would be able to see the game. So, the, the, so there's, but they, they have uh, planning applications for a stadium called the the Ar- Arctic Stadion, which in English means Arctic Stadium. And the... <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But the plans for that came through uh just prior to the pandemic hitting and Greenland was hit well, everywhere was hit quite hard with um, with the pandemic but there was very very little funds to put towards a stadium beforehand and then after the pandemic they were like this is just not a priority we've got loads of other stuff to sort out first so the the plans are still there but the construction hasn't hasn't started but they they, they are playing a lot more games away from Greenland at the minute they've just done a tour of um, Denmark they've done a couple of tours of Norway they're, they've gone on some trips to Spain to play a lot of local teams so they're, they're playing premier division teams from Norway um, like second string teams from, um, from Spain but it's it's all experience that they would never have previously got so they are definitely moving in the right direction albeit Uh, very very slowly Uh, if you you want to make a pun you could say they're moving at a a glacial pace they're moving moving very very slowly but in the right direction Um, but at at the minute and I think we we were going to move on to this but I'll I'll allude to it now at the minute the biggest tournament Greenland can play in is called the Island Games and this happens every two years and uh, this is basically a mini Olympics crossed a mini Olympics within which is a mini World Cup for really small, uh, non-sovereign territories of predominantly uh, European nations. So the Isle of Man, Jersey, Guernsey, um, Gibraltar, Shetland, they all play in this tournament and uh, it hasn't happened for a few years because of the pandemic. But in next July, 2023 July, the next iteration of this tournament is happening in Guernsey, so just off the coast of France and um Gibraltar are going to be there um and Greenland are going to be there they're two of the footballing favorites for this tournament and I'm going to go down and and watch that um interview a few managers speak to a few players and yeah just learn learn more about what it's like to represent a country that you know is never going to be able to play on the biggest stage
0: Gibraltar are allowed to play in it
1: I I don't I I think there's certain rules um around Gibraltar's participation, so they are still allowed to play because they're an overseas territory. But I think they aren't allowed to play any of their players that have represented them at full international level. I'm not I'm not sure of the of the proper regulations around that, but I th- I think that's the case.
0: And um, it sounds amazing. And you interviewed the manager as well. The manager is, is a lovely bloke. He's um
1: professional. He used to be a professional in the Danish lower divisions. Uh yeah, Morton or Martin? Ru- Rutger Ruthger is his name. Martin or Morton, and um, yeah, really really nice bloke. Incredible dedication to Greenland. Like he still lives in Denmark, so he still has to fly over to Greenland, which is it's not an easy trip. There's only something like three airports. That actually fly to Greenland.
0: There was an there was a really good documentary I watched in recent weeks. I think it was on Sky about Amer- American Samoa who lost the highest ever defeat to Australia. I think it was thirty three or thirty two nil. But uh, yeah, similarly, they got in like a Dutch American coach who like they'd never won a game, never scored a goal, and uh, really interesting to see these smaller nations and uh, what can be done with a bit of organisation and and and. The, pride and passion they have in in playing for those uh well territories if you want to call them
1: they're, they're, they're pioneers aren't they they're, they're almost um the, the one of the reasons you start playing football i think is because you look up to professionals um who are somewhat similar to you so growing up i would have loved um uh teddy sharing was one of my favorite players he plays for Tottenham, and he was english but people from greenland have never had that before they've never had an idol to look up to who they can say oh he's born in the same place as me if he can achieve that then what well, I can achieve that so these guys are um yeah that you need this first generation of talent uh, to then ultimately bring success in the future so what they're doing is is pretty pretty amazing and they they're essentially doing it for for their kids rather than for themselves Joe what football do they watch? Do they watch a
2: domestic league or do they tend to watch kind of european football
1: well they they tend to follow European football they are big fans of the Premier League and the the bigger leagues like the Bundesliga they do have um, a domestic league but it can only be played between like th- th- I think there's a spell of five weeks in the year where they can play it because the temperatures are kind of acceptable um and they have to play this tournament incredibly fast, so I think there's something like eighteen teams in it, but they have to they almost play a knockout tournament and they have to um fly to opposition because there's no roads or they have to get a boat to the to the opposition because there's no there's no roads and then it all culminates in this um almost very mini round robin tournament in in nuke the capital, where four teams play and then that they they come out with a winner but it's a really truncated season and quite a bizarre setup but it seems to work for them and it's sponsored by Coca-Cola so it's it's like they've got some some money behind it so it, I'd like to go over there and watch that one day um but I I don't know if I if I ever will
0: I mean it would be an amazing trip and it's it's amazing to hear these stories of how it really is the world game how popular football is in these kind of remote locations We mentioned uh, role models and we've talked earlier about England and Jude Bellingham. But what is also topical, particularly for Irish and English listeners, was uh, Martin O'Neill's recent appearance on TalkSport, where he basically justified why he didn't cap Jack Grealish and Declan Rice for Ireland. I have some views on it, but I would like to get your views on it... As fans of the England team,
2: well, I suspect that I am going to have the kind of least sensational view among us.
0: Um,
2: <laughs> I, I wasn't aware of the uh, comments until you flagged them ahead of this podcast, and I've watched the Martin O'Neill clip on TalkSport. And to me, it sounds very reasonable. You know, it sounds like what he's saying is very reasonable. They they both played um, in friendlies for the Ireland team before. You know you know, when they were teenagers uh, based of Irish heritage they were both born in England. Um, and yeah, by capping them at, in a competitive game, you basically define their career for their whole life. And they will have been aware of the rules, as Martin O'Neill says, and their families would have been aware. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, if there's a, if there's a chance that you're going to play for England, which is much more commercially lucrative, than being capped for the Ireland team, then you want to keep those options open, don't you? Um, and it kind of feels fair enough to me, although, mm. you know, I'm, I'm looking at this reasonably fresh and from a different side of the, the Irish Sea. So that's my take.
0: Yeah, I mean, on a human level, it is reasonable, but football is much more passionate than that i
1: 'll well, hold my tongue <laughs> what do you think joe um yeah i'm i i think there's the, the 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 thing is like they they sort of represented Ireland at a youth level right but they they would never have considered themselves personally irish i don't think i don't think they were they ever would have said they were Irish ahead of being English, which is almost the the problem the Irish national had, or not, not 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 the the problem necessarily. This is almost the way the the Irish national team has been formed over the last twenty or thirty years, is they don't necessarily take in people who deem themselves Irish. They take in people who have got Irish ancestry who weren't good enough to play for England, and I. This is this is coming from someone with I I I've got an Irish background, but I've got my dad's Irish, and that that just seems to be. It's always going to be an issue for Ireland being such a small nation and having such close ties to England that there's always going to be this this crossover where players can choose to play for one or the other. The only reason someone would choose to play for Ireland, I think, is to is because they don't think they're good enough to play for England, which is a, like a sad state of affairs. But the, maybe the problem is that Ireland ha, it, it needs to start picking players who want to play for Ireland because they're Irish? Like, there's, there's no point looking for these, these loopholes where you go, oh, my, my, this person's granddad was from, was from Cork, so they can represent us. That shouldn't be why you represent a national team. You shouldn't do it because as a, oh, this is a secondary option because my, my first choice hasn't worked out for me. You should pick someone because they want to play for Ireland above all else. If they were offered the chance to play for England, they'd say no because they want to represent Ireland. And I know that's hard because. It's a country of of what three and a half million against England, a country of sixty five million. You're always going to have a worse um, pool of players to pick from, but I, I I don't know. It just seems like a flawed way of picking a national team, and it's worked in the past when people like Andy Townsend were playing, and now the the policy has almost come back to bite them a little bit because there's there's no um, like great academies in Ireland and of course there wouldn't be there's there's no massive teams there but it just seems like if you are hoping to build your national team on offcasts from other national teams it's just not a very good way to build uh, like a a team identity culture um anything like that and then something like this will happen like it's it's a quite annoying for him that two people did it in ex- basically exactly the same time, and they were both incredibly talented footballers. Apart from Declan Rice, who this is another point I think is awful. So you can take him. I I don't don't like him at all. I think I think it's a joke.
0: I mean I don't disagree with anything you have said there, both of you. And they are English, and they would have grown up dreaming of playing for England. And if the if that perhaps wasn't on the horizon. And you have a chance to play international football for a country that, you know, you might have strong Irish roots in your family. You so, say, yeah, I'd love to represent the country of my grandfather, for example. Yeah, I don't have any problem with that. I I have a, I do have a slight bigger problem with Rice. But I'll go on to that. I do have a problem with Martin O'Neill's kind of post-rationalisation of this. On a human level, he said, I'm not going to define this kid's life by picking him, sticking him on for two or three minutes in a competitive international and therefore denying him the chance of playing for England. But he's the manager of the Irish football team. To go back to Roy Keane, that's his job. You pick the best players. If they If they decide they want to pull on the green shirt at whatever level but well no let's forget about underage level but specifically Declan Rice. Declan Rice played three senior internationals for Ireland. He was man of the match in two of them. He was only 18. He was on the bench for competitive qualifiers and that's what O'Neill conveniently left out. He picked them for the qualifiers So if he didn't want to pick him because he would deny him the chance to play for England, pick some other kid from Donegal or Cork or Wexford or Kilkenny who does want to play. Don't put him in the squad for a qualifier, a competitive game, and then cop out because uh, I don't want to deny this kid playing for England. On a human moral level, that is a nice thing to do. But all's all's fair in loving football. When you're the Irish football manager... You've got an eighteen-year-old talent. An eighteen-year-old, he's a man. Declan Rice is a man at eighteen. He he knew what he was doing. And Martin O'Neill contradicts himself when he says they knew the rules. They did know the rules. If you decide to put on that green shirt, you know the rules. You know you could be picked in a competitive. So I don't accept. I don't accept O'Neill's. I think as as a human, nice thing to do. Yes, but I think there's another element to it. I think, and you've kind of touched on it, Joe. Yes, players picked Ireland because they weren't good enough for England. But that shouldn't be the standard you hold yourself to. That shouldn't be the standard Irish people hold themselves to. So I think O'Neill, there's the commercial aspect, but I think, again, like that's kind of a disgusting reason yeah, I'll let you play for England because you'll win, you'll make more money, you'll be more marketable. It's so, like, yeah, you're the manager of the full Irish football team. What's that got to do with it? Okay, you might win a World Cup with England. That's different. I think O'Neill did this because deep down he accepts Ireland is an inferior f- football nation to England. So he said, I'm not going to deny this kid because I don't rate the Irish team at the same level. Now, from an outside perspective, you could say, yeah, that's true. But when you're an Irish person, and this is the manager of the Irish team, should you not hold yourself to better standards to say, we are on an equal footing, we're on an equal standard to England?
2: So frustrating, yeah, because you you want your national team manager to have the best interests of Not just the current iteration of the national team at at the forefront of his mind but you know future generations of the national team and if you if you've got a chance to you know bring this potentially world-class i know jeff will disagree but you know he's, he's you know he's starting world cup games for england now so clearly he had some potential there if you've got a chance to bring him in and he sat on the bench so presumably then if if there'd been you know a couple of injuries in that game and declan rice had been thrown on he'd be part of the Irish national team and he wouldn't be part of England today. Precisely.
0: That's yeah,
2: strange, isn't it? It's strange that if Declan Rice was so keen to play for the England national team, he even allowed himself to be in the position where he was sitting on the bench for a competitive game.
0: And that was O'Neill's argument that these kids wanted to play for England. And I do understand, like, Gareth Southgate was in his ear at the same time. So it's like, look, maybe he said, come join, come with us on the Irish team, get a feel for it, see if you like it. I mean, I, I just think... I mean, Stephen Kenny would have capped them both precisely to get them for the Irish team. So, there's mor- the moral question around that. I don't think anyone would raise any moral questions if he had capped them both and we'd have them now. Here's a
2: question What do you think would be different about you know, the modern day Irish national team had they had Declan Rice and Jack Grealish available to them? Do you think it would make, make a big difference? In that they'd be, you know, qualifying for tournaments more frequently.
0: That's, I mean, we'd be a hell of a better team. We'd have built a team around Rice. He was 18. He was man at a match at two games. He would have been hailed as the new Roy Keane. We'd have built a team. Grealish. I, I mean, it's our, You don't know how they would have developed. I mean, they may not have even got the the club moves had they played uh, for Ireland. So. I don't have a huge problem with Grealish. I mean, it was underage teams. I mean, look, God loved the kid. Jack Grealish probably still thinks he's playing for Ireland. They're just wearing the away kit. I have, a, I have a bigger question question mark over Rice. And I think what greats with Rice too is when he does like... I think it was before the last World Cup. He does a documentary on BBC about like what it means to play for England. What it is to be English. I mean, have a bit of self-awareness. I mean... Have, have a bit of self-awareness that you have jumped ship to ireland's biggest rivals also and i think the other sad thing is can he not now celebrate his irishness and those five irish family roots i mean he'd probably say his second team is ireland so that's the that's the other nasty side to it is that like can we not still celebrate the fact that he's a british irish person as we would an irish american but yeah, that's my that's my rant over. It's more directed at O'Neill's attempt to rationalise it, and that he didn't really he didn't do all he could in the position he had. Uh, I'll, I'll leave the last word to Joe to say why you don't rate him. I will say I, I saw him in a I saw him live twice last season, and he was exceptional in the first game, and in the second game, West Ham lost to Brighton, and he just disappeared for the second half. And I, I just, I question, I question if he is that player.
1: I just have never been impressed by him. I think his job is to like clean up mess and sort out the middle of the park. He does that fine. He doesn't do it to a standard where I think he's exceptional. I think there are countless players that could be in the middle uh, in, instead of him. I would still pick um, Calvin Phillips ahead of him, um, I would pick Jude Bellingham ahead of him every day of the week. I would I would rather have ten players on the pitch, if one of them is Jude Bellingham, rather than having eleven players on the pitch and one of them is um, uh, is Rice. I I just I don't understand the hype at all. And maybe this is just just me not watching enough West Ham games or not watching England games closely enough. But I think he's arguably the most overrated talent in this current England squad, even more so than Mason Mount. Um, Jade, I just want to have one final sort of question on the the irish thing does it frustrate you when you look over the water and you see how wales have performed a nation with like a similar population and then you see how um how they've got to the last few tournaments and they've all of the players the big players namely bale and ramsay are so overwhelmingly welsh and that they absolutely love playing for Wales and being regarded as Welsh. Is it frustrating when you see stuff like that and you think, what, why, haven't, why hasn't Ireland had a team like that since, oh God, I'd say since when Robbie Keane was, was captain? I'd say it was the last time you had a team like that. that you think, just felt this overwhelming pride at, at being Irish and playing for Ireland? Uh, is it annoying?
0: The bigger thing is how, why are we not producing players why are we not producing? How can they have an Aaron Ramsey and a Bale? And I mean, we are. We talked before on these podcasts. We are slowly getting our house in order, and you do see the Irish national team full of like young teenagers now. But we're trying to overhaul our structures at home. Uh, someone pointed out to me that when Ireland were qualifying for tournaments, the likes of Wales and Northern Ireland were full of championship players and below and now that's us and we are reaping the whirlwind of disastrous management by the FAI in in our country so i i i look with envy at what they achieve but i look with envy at the type of players they produce yeah
1: but i i guess like tied in with that as well as you're saying that like, the ireland team is currently not not at a great standard and does that mean, do you think, that any player who's got ambitions of playing at a World Cup, if, even, if if they, even if they're born in Ireland, the heritage thing often goes two ways. So they will often have English heritage. So do you think they would ever choose to play for England over Ireland, regardless of whether they regard themselves as, as, um, as Irish, just on, in terms of, to, of their career potential?
0: I mean, we've seen it in cricket. We've seen it in cricket. So Owen Morgan, born in either Dublin or perhaps Wexford, played cricket for Ireland and then went to captain the England team, won the World Cup with the England cricket team. And that sport was, was a little bit more like, that's like his chance to play at the very top level, like his chance to go to the Premier League and make a career out of that sport. But there is that Irish thing of like, you know the traitor, and, and that will always be there, and that that's history. And Declan Rice is getting that, um, and I do think it's sad that we can't celebrate them as British Irish people, as a at the same way we would Irish Americans.
1: Yeah, I think as football fans, we read into these things a lot more than than the players think about it when they, when they say it. Like they're they're hauled in for these media presses. And they said, right, what we're going to talk about is how great it is to play for England. Go. And then they just reel off this spiel that they've been taught by their PR teams and they've been given by their their management uh, since... Uh, if you're someone like Declan Rice, you've been trained to talk in front of cameras like this since you were 17, 18. So he's been doing it for four or five years now. He probably doesn't even really know what he's saying. He's just say, He's just saying what's expected of him. Uh something that's not going to be controversial unless you're Irish. And he he's he's just trying to get it over and done with, give them a little a few little sound bites like, Oh, we're having a great time here in Qatar. The team unity is wonderful. Like that goes on the front of the sun. You've done you've done your job. They're not thinking about that. They're finishing that press release. They're going outside, they're training. All they're thinking about is playing France.
0: Anyway, we'll move on from Rice, but uh, as it's coming up to Christmas. Joel's got a quiz for me and Taylor to uh, participate in.
1: So what I would like you to do is I would like you to each name a country that has hosted the World Cup. Once you've got it correct, it'll move on to the next person. No repetition. And I'll give you 10 seconds to, to think of one. Otherwise, the other person wins. James, you go first. Go. Qatar. Oh, very nice. Well done.
2: This might need a bit of uh, clarification on the rules, but I'm going to say
1: Japan. Japan, correct. Korea. I'd like some clarification on that.
0: South Korea. Correct. (laughs) England. Correct. Who won that one? I never seem to remember who won that one. Uruguay. Correct. Mexico. Correct. Russia. Correct.
1: USA. Correct. Brazil. Correct. South Africa. Correct. France. Correct.
0: Argentina.
1: Correct. Italy. Correct. Getting down to it now.
0: <laughs> I can't remember now. Spain.
1: Ooh, yes. Correct. Uh... Germany. Correct. I think there are four left. I have to edit out this pause. You're just going to have to plump for one now. Three, two, one. Go. Lost. Okay, James, this is your chance. You can win if you get this right.
0: I can't think.
1: Chile. Chile is correct. Oh. 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 The the four outliers. I'm not sure if you mentioned Italy. But Italy is one of them. Good
0: day, Italy. Okay, fine.
1: Okay, there's only three
0: more then. Uruguay. I said that. Shambles. Oh.
1: Okay, sorry. Uh, Okay, I fucked it. It's Switzerland and Sweden are the only two that weren't mentioned then.
0: Ah, yeah. Brazil won in Sweden. The Swiss... Okay, Switzerland hosted
1: the World Cup in... Oh, come on, everyone. It was the 1954 World Cup. And who won that? Brazil. Brazil. Germany. And who was the top scorer? Müller. No, it was Sandor Koksis from uh, Hungary. And how many goals did he get? Six. Six. Eleven. Impressive. Eleven. Wow. Yeah, it's a good going that. And what was the average yeah. attendance
0: per match? <laughs> <laughs> two thousand. I stood around a a, a fence, <laughs> a wire fence. Taylor, any any update from two thousand? Uh,
2: I'll go.
1: hundred thousand. Oh, somewhere <laughs> in the middle. It was twenty nine thousand per match, which is actually not bad for fifty four in Switzerland. Good quiz, Joe. I really should have put more effort into remembering what people had said, but I thought I'd be able to do it in my own head. And then seventeen is actually just too many variables.
0: Well, gentlemen, we come to the end of our World Cup special. It was great to have you both on again. I'll wish you a merry Christmas, a merry World Cup, happy New Year, and we will speak soon. Thank you, Taylor.
2: Cheers, James. I'm going to go and stick a tenor on Declan Rice, man of the
0: And you, Joe?
1: Yeah, thank you. I won't be doing that. <laughs>
0: Right, thanks, James. Best wishes. And that's it for the latest episode of the Pogma Gold Podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your pods and toggle back for previous shows. And order your copy of Ireland's only football publication online at pogmagold.com. Join us next time on the Pogma Gold Podcast.